0: Jesus is real.
1: There's power in your name. We battered. We trust in your ways we need. Real. Jesus is
0: real. See, family brings freedom. And this is the thing. God is inviting every single human being to be part of his family. But unlike the way that we are born into a physical family, unfortunately, we don't get to choose our families, right? It's like you were born into whatever family that you were born into, but you do get to choose who you adopt into your family. And in the same way, God is desiring to adopt each one of us into his family.
1: Within a family, there are certain freedoms we get to take advantage of. This extends to the family of God as we'll discover in today's message. Pastor Daniel reminds us, too, that God has chosen to include us in his family. We don't always get to pick who we're related to, but we can choose to add to the clan, this is how God sees us. He's given us all the chance at new life because he wants to include us in his family tree. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 17 with part two of his message, Free Indeed.
0: Is that we experience this life that comes from death is to die to our old life and to be made alive to new life. Now, another way, of course, if you're a Christian, happens when you die physically because the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so the reality is, and I know that this is hard, but this life that we're living is the temporary version of it. And I know that sounds, it's so, you know, as someone who's suffered loss in my own life, to say that is like, I realize how tragic death is. You realize how fragile life is. But the reality is, is we are sojourners here. We're pilgrims here. We're vacationing through this life. And it's very hard to keep that perspective solid when this is the only life we know. But you have to know that if you are in Christ, When you die, you will live forevermore. That actually right now, you are living in Christ eternally. And at the time that you take your last breath here on this earth, you get to enter into the life that God has for you in eternity. And I'm here to tell you, heaven is the ultimate destination. I know we live in a day and age where it's like, well, I don't want to forfeit... I don't really want to just focus on heaven. I want to live here now. And I believe that Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus isn't asking you to give up. He's not asking you to give up this life for the next life. He's like, look, if you give up your self-styled life now, I'm going to give you real life now and you get eternal life in the hereafter. So what Jesus is offering, he's offering like the total maximized life. He's offering a life that has everything you could ever imagine. The presence of God here and in the hereafter. You get the abundant life now and everlasting life into eternity. But you know what's interesting about this verse? Death brings life. Do you notice the disciples' response to this? So fascinating. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Do you notice that? The disciples didn't hear everything that Jesus said. They just heard, you're going to be betrayed and you're going to be killed, and then they got focused on that, and they missed that very last phrase, which is, and he will be raised up. And here's the deal. For you and I, because of what the Bible calls the fallenness of humanity, we all have a tendency to emphasize the negative, don't we? It's amazing how this works. Everything could be great, but one thing's bad, and the whole thing's bad. Right? You know, something good's going on. And all of a sudden, the only thing you can remember is the one thing that you didn't like the way that it went. And Jesus says, look, yeah, I'm going to be betrayed. Yeah, I'm going to be killed. But I'm going to be raised up again. And they're exceedingly sorrowful. They're not like, wow, you just conquered death, bro. But you got to ask yourself, how do you do with this? Because I know for me, I was convicted just reading this this week. How am I doing? Am I missing all the positives? Because of something that I don't like. You know, it's amazing. This happens in church a lot. I just, you know, we brought back on a brother from our staff. He had moved away to go take care of his elderly family and he moved back. And one of the things he said, he's like, you know what we realized coming back? We realized how much we took Crossroads for granted. We started to focus on things and we missed what God was doing here. It's really easy to do that, right? It's like you have enough time in a relationship and you, all you can do is focus on the things you don't like about the person like, you're grateful for the job, you prayed for the job, but then you get the job, and then sometime later, you're like, oh, I just wish I didn't have a job. Any other job would be better. Because I think there's some part of our fallenness that if we're not careful, we'll miss the beautiful things because we're not willing to focus on the beautiful things because they almost feel unnatural to us. And that's why it says in Philippians 4 that we should meditate on those things that are lovely and those things that are praiseworthy. See, our entire news cycle, everything on the internet, every newspaper, it's like the more gore and the more negativity, the more it appeals to us. And then all we can do is see negative and we miss out on all the things that God is wanting to do. It's amazing. The disciples were exceedingly sorrowful when you kind of just wish one of them would be like, well, so are you saying that you're just, you know, you're dying, but you're coming back to life again? Wow. That's awesome. What does that mean for us? No, all they can hear is that he's going to die. And they can't see that he's going to live forever. So death brings life. Now, moving on from there, look what it says in verse 24. It says, now when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. So they leave the Sea of Galilee. They just hear that Jesus is going to conquer death and that death brings life. And then they come in and they are confronted with these people who receive the temple tax. And they say to Peter, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And Peter says, yes, he does. Now, what does this teach us? My friends, conflict brings clarity. Conflict brings clarity. See, these people who are collecting the temple tax, you can almost tell by their question that they're trying to catch Jesus. They're trying to make sure that they can pin Jesus down, that he is really not the great guy that everyone thinks he is, but he's just one of those type of people. Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? You ever, you ever have those questions from somebody where they're just, someone's just looking for fault? They're just looking for a reason to get upset. Is this not the way that you do it? Right? Because we live in a negative culture, we're always trying to figure out who's the nasty one. Why are they so nasty? Why don't you do what I want you to do? All this stuff, right? But what's amazing is it's in this little situation that's a small amount of conflict that all of a sudden jesus is going to bring clarity to peter about how this thing all works see the temple tax is really not what's important but the temple tax and the conflict over does jesus pay the temple tax is going to lead to some teaching and some understanding that only happens through the conflict and that's why, listen, I wrote my book honestly about this because for so many of us, life is messy and it's exceedingly messy. It's perplexingly messy. When you follow Jesus, life doesn't become unmessy. All of a sudden, you realize how extraordinarily messy it actually is. But the reality happens is like, how do I move through a messy world and not become embittered? When everything doesn't go right, when everything happens that is not the way that I want it to, how do I work this thing out? How do I continue to live in such a way that honors the fact that everything doesn't make any sense, but that Jesus is real? And what I have found is that the messiness of life brings clarity, that the conflicts that go on, if you're willing to allow the Lord to minister into the midst of the conflict, you begin to see things that are you would never have known because it's the conflict that jars everything out of place so you can see what's in your heart. I'll never forget this. I remember I I grew up in a family and I was loved extraordinarily as a child. i have an amazing family, but my parents did not get along very well. They were like two really strong type A people and all Italian. So they were thick headed, you know, it's like, they were like, man, and, and they would like fight. They could fight over anything. It was amazing, you know? And it's like, and I remember when I got married, I was like, I'm never going to fight with Lynn. Why are you guys laughing? But like, I was just like, I'm just not gonna fight with that girl, you know what I mean? Like I watched my parents fight and that's no good. And so I remember we got married and I remember, and, and in my heart I said, I'm never gonna, I don't ever wanna intentionally hurt my wife. And I'll never forget it, we must've been married about four months and something was going on. And I remember I said something and it was like, it was one of those things that you say that's it's aimed at hurting somebody. And I remember I got in the car and she was upset, rightfully so, and I was proud. And so I was not talking, you know? And I remember later on that day, I ended up calling a friend of mine who was a pastor. And and I said, hey, can we talk for a couple minutes? And he said, yeah. He's like, what's up? And I I told him the story. And he said, you know, praise God. Excuse me? He's like, at least now you know what's in your heart. And you can work from there. It made me stop for a second because it was like, whoa. Like I wasn't quite ready for that response. You know, maybe I was hoping for like, yeah, you're a knucklehead. You better go apologize to her. And, you know, or maybe like you were right to be angry or something, you know. But his response was, now you know what's in your heart. And we can work from there. And see, the idea that conflict brings clarity, oftentimes the things that are rubbing, the friction points are the things that if you're allowing Jesus to do a work in the midst of your heart, the friction point will be something that now all of a sudden you're going to get insight through it, See, what goes on here is they're trying to catch Peter and Jesus. And notice Peter's response is, yes, he does. Now, the temple tax was, it was about a two days wages for the average laborer. And so it was something that was instituted back in the book of Exodus to build the tabernacle. And then it was actually further along in the book of Nehemiah in order to rebuild The temple that had been broken down and so it became the kind of a custom that every year every able-bodied male over a certain age would give this two days wages for the upkeep of the temple and so for whatever reason Jesus never paid it we don't know if he ever paid it but at this point they hadn't paid it for that year and this guy comes and Peter's first response is yep he does why because Peter's afraid of people See, Peter just wants to save face. That's what he's wanting to do. And so his response right away is to save face for Jesus. But what we're going to find is that this little moment of conflict ends up bringing tremendous amounts of clarity because Peter responds, right? And then notice it says in the middle of verse 25, and when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. Now, I love that about Jesus, where Jesus already knows what's going down. And so before Peter says anything, Jesus is already speaking to him. Look what Jesus says. He says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Now, this is powerful. Because what we learn here is that family brings freedom. See, family brings freedom. See, the point is, is that in... Now, again, this was a different culture. So there was kings, right? And so the idea is that we live in a culture where there's a representative democracy. So it's not like the kids of the president don't have to pay taxes, or at least, I, I mean, I'm not a kid of the present, but I imagine they have to probably pay taxes, right? But in an environment where a king is a sovereign over a land, the princes and the princesses, they didn't have to pay the taxes. Everybody else did. So Jesus is using that saying, listen, he says, Peter, what do you think? Do the kings of the earth, who do they take their customs from? Or their taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter's like, of course, from strangers. And Jesus' is like, oh yeah, then the sons are free. See, this is so important because the point is, is that as part of the family... You now are free to function however you want. You are not under the obligation that a stranger would be. And this reminds us of John chapter 8. In verse 32 it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then in verse 35 and 36 of John 8, Jesus says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. See, this is an important reality. And think back to my story about my little Annabelle. She can walk to my house. She can steal my wallet all she wants because she's my daughter. But if someone else were to do it, it would be unacceptable. And my friends, true freedom for you and I comes from being part of a family that now is exempt from being at a distance. But because of the close relationship, everything changes. See, family brings freedom. And this is the thing. God is inviting every single human being to be part of his family. But unlike the way that we are born into a physical family, unfortunately, we don't get to choose our families, right? It's like you were born into whatever family that you were born into, but you do get to choose who you adopt into your family. And in the same way, God is desiring to adopt each one of us into his family. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. Who knows what the story was? But there is an invitation by the almighty God that says, I want you to be part of my family. And that way into the family comes by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. In the same way, if someone, if you got adopted into someone's family, right? They fill out all the paperwork, and then you have to choose to show up into that family. And so part of this freedom is the freedom to respond to the invitation. Now, I think if you're here today, and you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to realize that you have freedom because you're a part of the family. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't pay your taxes, You realize that, right? You realize that in the... Jesus is using an example. If you don't pay your taxes, we will come visit you in jail. But pay your taxes. I mean, it's like Paul has other verses about that kind of stuff. But the idea here is that there is a freedom that comes when you become part of a family. And if you are here today and you are a Christian, I want to remind you of Galatians 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. It's a powerful verse. It says, stand strong in the freedom by which Jesus has made you free. And don't allow yourself to get caught up again in something that brings you into bondage. Now that is an encouragement, isn't it? And it's a challenge because if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today, you realize that you need to work to stand fast so that you don't get caught up in the yoke of bondage again. Every single day, each one of us makes all sorts of decisions, and all those decisions have consequences. And if we're not careful, we can love Jesus and get ourselves all bound up again. And unfortunately, there's many of us who are going through that right now, where it's like, you are not standing in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, but you're allowing yourself to get entangled again. And you think about that word entangled, it speaks about getting caught in a net, And so we have to make sure that the decisions that we make do not cause us to be suffocated once again by things that hold us back. Now, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, here's the thing. Why would you not want to be a family member of the true and living God who created and sustains you and everything when the invitation is there? Why would you want to remain a stranger? See, I asked you that question because in my own journey, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so I didn't grow up with this stuff, and I remember having these discussions with myself. Like I, was, I started reading, and I'm like, so if God is real, and God is inviting me to be a part of his family, why wouldn't I want to be part of God's family? And then all the reasons why I didn't want to be part of God's family starts me up. Well, if you do that, then you can't do this anymore. You got to stop doing this. You gotta stop doing this, and hey, this thing probably isn't okay in that house, you know, and you go through all the things. But then you know what I realized? As I started thinking about each one of those, I started thinking to myself, well, does that actually really bring me joy anyway? Uh-uh. It's the power of the right questions. I mean, I feel blessed because it was the spirit of God working in my heart that all of a sudden these questions start popping up. Like, so, okay, so if I'm following Jesus, I probably can't go out and, and just be hammered all the time. Well, is it fun being hammered? Well, it was fun when I first started, but now it's just kind of like, this is kind of what I do and it's kind of boring and you know, it never felt as good as the first time. And I'm spending a lot of money, you know, so you start going down the list, and then you're like, oh yeah, let's not talk about the hangovers, and the, you know, like the, the, the space case for a week after it's over, and all mine, you know. I started going down the, the list, and what I realized is that the decisions that I were making were actually not getting me what I was hoping to. It was an attempt at a momentary fix of something that was way greater than a momentary fix can handle. And I say that to you all, because I know that a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you've been on that same journey. So if you're here today, and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I can't fathom why you wouldn't want to be part of the family of God. Now, don't get me wrong, because after I gave my faith, put my faith and trust in Jesus, you know what my next thought was? Oh, no, am I going to become one of those judgmental Christian people? (laughs) That was my next thought. And I had to deal with that. But you know what I realized? I realized that people who are walking with Jesus aren't judgmental. They're sinners saved by grace. And what I also realized was that I actually bought a lie about the church. Because the media tells you, because they don't want you to be part of... You know why our culture doesn't want you to be part of church? Because they don't want you to depend on God. They want you to be dependent on them because then they keep their power. That's why it happens. Because when you are free, then you get to think outside of a system that runs the way it runs because it wants what it wants. And that is why in every culture... The people who follow Jesus are always a problem because now all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm not going to repay evil for evil. That's not right. I'm going to repay good for evil. And I'm not going to repay cursings for cursing. I'm going to give blessings for cursings. And you know what? I'm going to forgive. You know why? Because that's the F word in church. (laughs) And that runs exactly outside of a system that says, you fight for your rights and you get what you want. If they don't do it, you step on over See, it completely undercuts The way the world works and the way that the world works. But brothers and sisters, listen, if you're not a Christian, you should be. Not because I want you to be, but because you want to be a family member of the Most High God and you want the freedom that comes from being in that family. It's so good. But you know what I'm here to tell you? If you become a Buddhist, no one's going to give you a hard time. If you become just like a hedonist, no one's going to bug you unless you break the law and you get caught right? But you become a Christian, all of a sudden, I "I can't believe you're becoming a Christian. I mean, what's going on with you? It's the most bewildering thing, because you know what's amazing? That's what happened to me when I became a Christian. My family was freaked out that I was a professional musician, and they got really freaked out when I became a Christian. I'm just like, man, how's this work? I mean, like, Jesus is like... But listen, the family of God is the family of God. And my friends... When you're part of that family, you get this freedom that comes. Now, look at verse 27. Jesus is wild to me. So what I love about Jesus. Because look what he says in verse 27. He says, Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Wow. See, Jesus is crazy, Right? See, like, people say, they say, oh, man, the Bible's boring. I'm like, no, no, you're boring. This is awesome. Like, it's like, we can't make this stuff up. Jesus says, look, you're free. We don't have to pay the temple tax. We're part of God's family. I'm the son of God. Like, this is fine. But he says, nevertheless, lest we offend them, I want you to go to the ocean. I want you to cash on a hook. You're going to get a fish. You're going to open the fish's mouth. There's going to be the temple tax and pay it. What does this teach us? This teaches us that compassion brings creative provision. Ooh, that's good, right? Compassion brings creative provision. See, Jesus could have dug in his heels and been like, we're not paying the temple tax, Peter. You were wrong. We're not doing that. But he said, nevertheless, look, we don't want to offend them. See, Jesus is compassionate on the religious system that he's coming to fulfill. Even as he's undermining, he's saying, listen, I still don't, I don't want you to offend them. So Jesus' compassion leads now to this amazing creative provision. And the creative provision, of course, is that Peter was a fisherman. Now what you got to realize is that as a professional fisherman, he's not casting enough, he's using nets. So like we have sport fishing where you use with a rod, but by and large, people who do it for a career, they use big boats and nets, right? Is that true? That's pretty true, right? So Peter probably never fished with a hook. It wasn't like he's like, man, I'm in Alaska catching, you know, salmon. It's like he's going to the Sea of Galilee that he's been on his entire life and he's throwing in a little hook. So Peter's out of his element, but Jesus is going to provide for their temple tax in a most wild way. Now, I think this is super important. Here's why. Because although you and I are free in Christ, when we are free, we also have the freedom to be different than we might ultimately be. See, Jesus is concerned for the people who are going to be, that word, lest they be offended, it's literally the word scandalized. He's like, I don't want to scandalize the temple tax collectors, so we're going to go out of our ways to bless them, and I'm going to show you how God can do anything. And I think that's powerful.
1: Jesus is real. Though we are free in Jesus, we also need to know that our freedom should look different from who we once were. Pastor Daniel told us in today's message that it's important to follow and mimic the life of the one who set us free in the first place. Jesus could do whatever he wanted, but he chose to bless the people around him. He used methods, though, that could only be attributed to the power of the Most High God.
0: Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland on Sundays at 10 a.m., we're growing. And honestly, not just in Southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, CrossroadsLive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.
1: Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel shares how different the world's values are from our Heavenly Father's greatness in the eyes of mankind includes being on top of the corporate ladder or filling a bank account to the brim. In God's eyes, though, greatness is something much smaller, and much more difficult. You'll want to tune in next time to learn this ingredient to greatness. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.